You're listening to the Marketing Agility Podcast with Frank Days and Roland Smart. On today's show, we have Justin Zimmerman, who is the Director of Content Development at Red X. You'll recognize that name. He was on the show with us 16 months ago when he was just beginning the process of scaling Agile at that organization. So we're going to hear all that he's learned along the way. He's going to touch on the role of Agile mindset, challenges of recruiting, and scaling Agile in his organization. Let's bring him on. We'll kick off that conversation right after this brief announcement. This podcast is brought to you by our good friends at the Business Agility Institute. Their upcoming Business Agility Conference is just around the corner on March 11th and 12th in New York City. I'll be there. There's a whole track on marketing. Listeners of this podcast, you get 20% off registration. How do you do it? You go to rsmartly forward slash bacon 2020. That's R-S-M-A-R-T period L-Y forward slash B-A-C-O-N 2020. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Justin, welcome back to the show. So glad to be invited back. So much has happened and it's exciting to be here with you guys. Yeah, almost, I think, 16 to 18 months. So when we talked to you last, you were at the beginning of the process of scaling. Mm-hmm. We're excited to bring you back to hear about what you've learned. And I'd love to kick it off just with an open-ended question. Tell us a little bit about what are the biggest challenges that you've faced as you've grown your organization and driven adoption of Agile more broadly? You know, Agile is truly a mindset. I've come to learn that. And it is a skill and mindset that needs to be taught. And once it clicks with certain people, you put those people together and they know how to run. It's like operational efficiency clicks in, but then... One of the challenges is when we have new people come on board, we have the operating teams and mindset of agile. And when you bring new people in who are just used to shotgun chaos style marketing teams, everybody wants to do their own thing their own way, um, how to get people to start thinking in the same directions and not form silos. Because as the team grows, we hire new people and those people need to be trained. And to provide the training and culture of agile has been the biggest challenge for me. What does this training look like for your organization as you're bringing on new people? That's a great question. I just slacked one of my favorite teammates. I go, we need to sit down and do what we just would call Reich 101. Reich's the platform we use. And we've imbued our mindset into Reich. So project management system that we've created or use is a reflection of our thoughts and thinking. That's how we look at it. I have a saying that your project management system is the mirror of how clear or chaotic your company or business or teams are. And so the training system has a visual aspect to it. And the way we essentially script things, code things, I don't even know that's a little too programmatic sounding. Just the way that the syntax of the way we lay out our projects like indicates where things are. And so the training itself is really a matter of the rhythms and routines that we've established behind what we've shifted from, which started off with trying to do pure scrum and realize that's just not possible. (laughs) It's just more of a Kanban environment, but nevertheless, still having the regular routines and meetings. And so the challenge with the training is uh, getting people to, uh, this is actually an awesome development, is realize that a lot of people go off and they, like I said, they come into the company, they start making projects. And then at the end, there's no inspection because there was no visualization. And then the work has to be redone or scrapped and people feel like 
they're not getting heard or it's a negative indicator of their happiness at work, job satisfaction. And uh, after seeing that happen so many different times, it's come up with a term called start right. And so start right is just simply getting everybody in the room at the same time, scoping out the project in the project management system, saying, what can we get done this sprint? What can we get done next sprint? Does everybody agree, right? Calendaring out some of the basic visual stuff. And then I call a sign and drive. So put everybody's name in it. Everybody clear to go one, two, three. That's why it's called sprint because once you have clarity and once you have alignment, then you can get into momentum. Momentum is essentially the sprint. and Everybody can move. And so the training aspect of that is getting people to sink into that rhythm and routine when there's so much chaos going on right now with all the projects that are happening simultaneously. And so our sprint cycle is a little broken, our Kanban cycle is a little broken because we've added so many people and projects recently. And so that's where the friction and frustration is, as well as also the training opportunities. Because there's a couple of people who, when you say the word Reich around here, which is the project management system, it's code for one of two things. One, it's, oh my God, provides clarity. I love it. I feel great. I can put a check in the box. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly when it's going to end. And I feel successful and fulfilled at the end of every day or week because you know we went through the start right process. And for other people, they hear Reich and they're like, oh God, it's tedious and it's blah, blah. Well, that's only because they haven't had a chance to really be trained in the process. And so they're just being told, do it this way, do it this way. And it's out of sync with how the other teams are working and functioning. And if you look at the output, honestly, if you look at the output of the teams who love Reich or Agile, they're the ones who are producing at the highest levels and always putting things out and delivering them to our customers. I mean, we've always got a new video, a new post, a new everything. And funny enough, the people who are frustrated with their jobs, when you can see it in here, are the people who are rebelling or reticent against the project management and Agile system. And so I just find that kind of contradictory and it's a paradox. Yeah. I want to double click on the recruiting thing. I think this is a actually huge insight and one that I learned over the last year as we hired a lot of people into Pantheon. And I didn't necessarily think early enough in the process. For one thing, the HR organization wasn't really educated themselves on how to qualify candidates that would be a good fit to work in an agile organization. So I think thinking all the way back to that stage is really important. How are you doing that? Because there's someone I can see through my glass window right now doing an interview and I'm sitting here and I'm like, eh, like we're interviewing people right now and hiring. And- yeah. So after spending a year on this topic, I actually wrote a three-part blog post series, which you can find on my LinkedIn profile mm. about this very topic, because I think recruiting is so important when it comes to building an Agile organization. Now, obviously, scaling Agile doesn't always imply that you're going to be recruiting. There are some organizations that are going through a transformation and they've already got the talent on board. But even in that case, I think we need to think about the next step, which is the onboarding and building an onboarding process to get people not just trained in Agile methods, but there's the tools they're going to use to be successful. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what those investments look like for you. Sure. I'd love to speak to that because if I could visualize it right now, I'd love to. I mean, me and the now president of the company, we realized that we were having a people problem because we were having a process problem. And the process problem was our onboarding problem. And so just the way you want to create consistent results for your customers, whether it's content or in your product or software, it comes from having a well-laid-out user experience. We realized that we really needed to go back and create a unified onboarding campaign or onboarding super project, if you want to call it. It's essentially like an epic of epics in a way. 
that's broken up into all these different training processes. And so we, I think we have four or five stages built into it. I know that that's not really a part of what you're asking here. But when you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's also part of why things are a little broken is we've got this onboarding process that when you by the time you get to the fourth stage which essentially moves from like company philosophy to company goals getting more to department specific then into role specific you know i've been saving notes clipping evernotes putting pasting things in links from your guys site and things for them to listen into as like training material all the way down to the specific role and one of the challenges and it's just we haven't really implemented this thing which if we were to use it would solve a lot of the onboarding training problems. And so you just actually illuminated a solution we had already created, but have yet to really deploy, which is you know, shame on us, but it's there. Well, what percentage of completion do you think you're in? And it's basically enablement, right? I mean, it's trying to get your team fully onboarded and fully enabled in the techniques and technologies and approaches of your business. It's hard. I feel like it's a quarter away. Like I said last night, I messaged one of my agile Reich fans on the team and she just loves it. And she was the receptionist. This is how good this stuff is. She was the receptionist we gave an opportunity to over the last two years and has just voraciously consumed content, marketing, agile, project management has become just a superstar everyone's come to like respect. And so what I'm seeing is instead of me being, here comes Justin just telling us what to do again, let me work with her and let her be the person that goes and then tries to seed these into the other teams that we've got formed because I'm the boss in some ways or in a lot of ways on that stuff. And so I don't want to be directorial about it. I'd rather have it be more organic. And what we realize is one of the best ways to learn this stuff is not to teach it. That's actually a super huge lesson I learned is you can't sit down with somebody and say, okay, this is where this goes. This is where this goes out of context to a real project. The best way to learn this stuff is to involve people in active projects that are using Agile and the structure we use. So that way people can all see it and visualize it. And then once they do it that way, they don't go and use another way. But the problem is, again, starting without it, they go and just invent their own stuff. And then a link that needed to have this particular tracking code on it gets passed from this person and it changes tasks put into the comments and then when it actually gets deployed it's the wrong link with the wrong code and i've got to spend 35 minutes when on my other teams there's no lack in confidence that this task can be seen and so you know it's just like the clarity of the systems is so important to the agile process and the functioning of the teams so let me take that idea that you just shared up a few thousand feet to ask a little bit about how you spun up new teams, because my hypothesis is that as we spin up new teams, it can be very helpful to either split existing teams into pieces to Mm -hmm. expose new people to people who have been doing it before, or to certainly a common pattern to embed somebody who's more experienced with new teams. So how have you approached spinning up new teams inside of Red X? Okay, so there's the way I would like to do it and the way that it's been done, which, you know, we're shifting things in that sense. So I think we've had this conversation. We have what's called the audience team. And the audience team has kind of been the project pet people I've been working with launches. They're the ones who are the most consistent, get it the most, love it. I could fly to Thailand tomorrow, pop open my laptop, look at the dashboard and just have absolute confidence that, you know, this is what it means. This is what it says. And so the level of clarity. We have a saying, visibility equals autonomy. No one likes to be micromanaged. And so if you do this stuff, then people have job satisfaction without all that other stuff. So we started talking about rolling out one of the leaders on that team into another team. And what we realized is that there are bonds that are formed 
and the team and the way they work and those habits, like you're kind of breaking a sacred cow. And if you're a manager, you can make that decision, but there's a satisfaction cost to that. I heard people, well, two things, people don't quit jobs, they quit managers and people stick at jobs they have best friends at. And so looking at the soft skills, the soft side of things, we really realize that the way this team functions is like a happy family and you don't want to break up a happy family. So I'm trying to find a way, which goes back to, I think the tangent or talking point that brought us here was how do I work with one of the superstars on that team to then kind of let her float into other teams while not leaving this team and let her kind of be a consultant I'm trying to think of in that way. And so that's kind of the leading edge on we have a conversion team, we have a success content team, we have a sales team that we produce content. We have these four other teams that just kind of we hired quickly and I have a task in here called re-onboard people, if that means any, if, you know, if that speaks to the challenges here. And so how do I do that? And so I'm thinking using one of the superstars and having her kind of be a consultant to those other teams and me kind of supporting from behind. So is there a moment in time when you add another team? Is it a moment in time that you have a moment of inspiration or do you get like two or three people coming to you saying, hey, we really need a team to tackle this new issue that we're seeing more and more? Yes. So that also kind of rolls up to the SWOT analysis that I talked about earlier. Now that I'm a part of the uh, strategic team, I can go off site and look inside, you know, what the owners and the executives are thinking and acting and how they make those decisions. And so when we do a SWOT analysis, it's kind of agile if we look at it. It's not in two week periods, but every three months we take an inventory of our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We collect that information from both internal sources and external sources. We bring that into the room and we still that down and we bring that up against the backdrop of our annual priorities. Do any of these help or hinder the direction that we're trying to take the company and its goals? And what will come out of that sometimes are new opportunities that then require new teams or new threats that require new projects that require more people. And we realize that there becomes a bandwidth issue. And so sometimes we do it quickly and we need to go back afterwards and, you know, done is better than should have done. And so new teams and people get hired a lot of times based off of the outcomes of what's being talked about in those meetings. So what you just said strikes me a lot about how do we at scale bolt our strategic planning process to our agile teams? Mm -hmm. I'm in the middle of that right now. That's like the next generation of thought for me. So as you've been thinking about that, have you done any exploration of the sort of well-known scaled agile frameworks that are out there that includes some sort of armatures to do this? Or are you looking at things like the OKR process? Where's your head at on that front? It's so new to me at this point that I'm just trying to adapt to regular like agile scrum. It really what I feel is the most important thing right now for where we are in the process. Because I feel like I'm a super grassroots guy. I started off as a copywriter writing emails and got tired of always being told, here's what we need when we need to buy without ever me giving the what's and the when's. And then it was just on to the next, on to the next, to the point where you know, I've built my career off of building frameworks and processes on top of copy and content and now where I'm leading the team. And so this grassroots approach that I've had to marketing, as I understand it, the rhythms and routines really look like just you know, sprint planning meetings and how do you have the nucleuses of production running? But now that I'm stepping into kind of the bigger space, I'm just trying to translate. So I got to give perspective on this. I'm just trying to translate. How does grassroots now fit into uh, macro, right? So macro is new to me. 
And the biggest challenge I'm facing there for anybody who's kind of grassroots up into this like kind of executive management space and trying to scale the agile frameworks, I believe me, I've, I've had to learn the meaning of uh, pick your battles, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so trying to introduce process at the macro level is still very micro and very slow. And so like I'm meeting with the chief technology officer and having like, like I've done actually from the ground up, I would meet with like the team and ask, hey, what do you think about this? What about this? What about some little micro adjustments here and there on thoughts and processes? But as far as like a full like, hey, we really need to look at scaling agile as a framework and trying to look at this from a top down perspective. That's not where I'm at. Let me ask the question in a slightly different way. So when you come back from this quarterly planning process that includes this SWAT work, are you coming back to your agile teams and refactoring your backlogs based on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely correct. The part of the process is, do we have the right priorities on the backlog list or the roadmaps? You know, we're still getting clear on what we want to call those things. And does any new information impact the priorities that we had previously set? So they absolutely do. Well, as you're scaling, though, you're scaling your agile, and I know if you're not using a framework, but you are sort of adding teams. I mean, what's the biggest constraint in terms of adding new teams and making changes to the way you do agile? Well, Adding new teams, the biggest part is really the training and the mindset. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And if I had no other responsibilities or projects to do, I would just dedicate all my time to that right now. So that way it kind of like catalyzes because I'm kind of the keeper of agile and agile philosophy and methodology right now, at least at the real implementation level, making sure, you know, scrum master style, you know, I guess that person's job whenever when I reflect over what's in the kind of roles, responsibilities of the Scrum Masters, you know, adherence to or implementation of good, best agile practices. So when you talk to the question of mindset, is it reprogramming people that you've got on the team who are coming from a waterfall land to join an agile team? Or is it the people that you're hiring, you feel like you've hired a good person, but they don't come from an agile environment and you need to kind of reprogram in the way that you guys work? Great question. I think it's the latter. I think we're hiring great people. I just think we haven't had a chance to really spread the training and mindset in a way where it clicks and people are like, oh, I get it, right? I get it now, right? That happens. So you now have a bunch of teams that are set up. You talked about the constraint of training those teams. How do you keep them in alignment with each other? Are you running a scrum of scrums? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, again, that's kind of like one of my biggest challenges right now as we look at things is we have the audience team dashboard, we have the conversion team dashboard, and we have the success team dashboard. And so me and the CMO, former CMO president who helped me formulate, we worked on a lot of this stuff together. So we have kind of share a brain on this stuff, which is nice, kind of like the way you two guys do. I don't think we got it wrong in the sense of saying team this, team this, team this, but I've realized the problem with calling teams teams is that immediately, and this is fresh, this is only like two weeks old, this whole thing I'm dropping right now, is uh, you put the word teams up and immediately people like put on a jersey and in our morning huddle when all the teams come together, <laughs> right? It's us versus them. And so you've got this like scrum and people can feel like, oh, it's audience team, your turn. No coordination. Red team versus blue team. Yeah. Yeah. And so we get this red team, blue team thing. And I'm like, but weren't we customer-centric when we started? Wasn't it about the buyer's journey and creating content at different stages? And then we just have like executors who know like those content types to deliver 
for those mediums at those stages. And so somehow it like morphed and like we're looking in retrospect right now. And so we've got this like division right now and we talk about it. It's not like I'm sharing anything, you know, if someone were to listen to this would be like, oh, wow, you're, you're talking about that. I didn't know. No, no, we've been talking about this. And so we thought, realized the word team is the wrong team right away. Just like semantics matter, words matter. Yeah. People automatically all of a sudden feel like it creates an us first them unnecessarily in the shift. And I'm trying to put this into place right now is it's not the audience team, it's the marketing team. And we have people specific to creating audience content and conversion content. And so that way, and this goes back to Reich, which that helped visualize a lot of things when I showed people the, the template structure. That's a big part of it is visualizing it. It's like, oh, right. We have the super project called, you know, I'll just use an example like uh, topic equals, we have a thing coming out called mail merge. And by the time this goes out, uh, hopefully it's out in the marketplace. And I just didn't accidentally leave, put something out there right now that uh, isn't supposed to be known yet. But we have a feature for mail merge that's coming out. And so if we break down all the content experiences along the buyer's journey for this particular topic, from like awareness content, like, well, how do you send postcards to your customers to get leads? And let's do 20 interviews and podcasts and blog posts that get people who are just the general level interested in learning about how to like achieve better results with their mail marketing. Right. But then we've also got like webinar level content, middle funnel content, evaluation content that would help create leads and driving ads to those lead capture devices, but all based off of a lot of stuff we learned. Then we got bottom of the funnel content and post funnel content, which shows people how to use our product inside our product to use it. And so when you go look at this template we create inside of Reich, it aligns the whole team. And so that's the answer I was trying to get to is get rid of the label teams and then focus on unified projects that create content throughout the whole buyer's journey and make that super clear, like the way those things are laid out. And all of a sudden, everyone's taking pieces from the major project. And it's not audience team, your turn, conversion team, your turn. We're looking at one big project all together and then pulling pieces from that. And so that's the solution I'm trying to get to next year. Great. One last question for you, for our audience. If you could spin the clock back, say 16 months to when we last talked to you on the podcast to today, what one thing would you change? Good question. I would uh, be more proactive in, well, 16 months ago, I would use one dashboard for all the teams to start off with, knowing what I know now and doing that team model I just talked about, or the project level model and pulling pieces together. I would go back in time and say, hey, here's the thing that you should focus on and build the teams around that. Build the teams around a unified project that have specific executors who are specific at those different levels of the buyer's journey execute within them, not separate and adjacent to them. Awesome. Dustin, thank you for uh, coming back on the show and talking with us again. We're going to have to have you back in another 16 months when you've taken over the world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I got to go back and listen to my original podcast to hear what I talked about. Then I'm going to sound like a kindergartner compared to now. <laughs> well, just as a reminder to people out there listening, you can find the Marketing Agility podcast on agilemarketingblog.com as well as iTunes. Set your favorite podcast application into iTunes and get us on your subscription list. Thank you again to Justin and thank you again to everyone out there for joining us today. <laughs>